Hey there, I'm Tamara Rolls. When my family moved to the San Ynez Valley a few years ago, I discovered a deep sense of community, unlike anything I experienced growing up in Los Angeles. I decided to explore how this bucolic wonderland grew into the place I'm so proud to call home. Each episode, you'll hear from a guest who has made a contribution to our beautiful valley. Through their stories, we'll discover our rich history and explore how we continue to thrive together. Because understanding the stories of the people that contribute their heart and soul to this valley is the surest way to preserve and enrich our community. This is SYV Stories. I asked Alan Jones to be my first guest because he had the biggest role in our move to the Valley. My husband and I spent nearly four years touring properties in the back of Alan's spotless suburban. At the time, we knew exactly two people that lived here, but Alan's hospitality and sharp sense of humor convinced us we had found the right realtor and later the right place to call home. During those weekends we spent property hunting, Alan shared stories about the Valley's history, his childhood, and the diverse characters that lived here. Aside from his talents as a remarkably patient broker, his record of service to this valley is second to none. He has served on the boards of Solving Theater Fest, San Inez Valley Foundation, Oak Hill Cemetery, and the Solving Conference and Visitors Bureau, as well as president of the Solving Rotary Club. He was also named the 2018 San Inez Valley Man of the Year for his long record of service. You might recognize his voice because he's entertained us all as the announcer at the Solving July 4th Parade for more than 20 years. And as a Valley resident since 1965, his perspective is the first I wanted to share. Hi, Alan. Hello, Tamara. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm honored. So you spent nearly four years waiting for us to buy a piece of property, and I think we had so much fun exploring ranches in the back of your Suburban um, that I think we knew once we actually pulled the trigger, the fun would be over. So maybe that's why we waited so long. (laughs) Does that happen to you often? It does. In your case, I was really disappointed when you finally buy, be, bought because it was it was all over. I couldn't show you anymore. No, I'm just kidding. We're really happy to have you here. It was uh, the four years went by quickly, and uh, you just want to take your time and find the right place. And that it it takes a long time. People take years sometimes to find the right place. And the, once the right one falls in line, you know that was all meant to be. It does take years and a lot of free lunches. I think in our case, yes. <laughs> So you're often one of the first people to introduce outsiders to this community. What do you think people are expecting when they're looking to relocate to the Valley? Well, there's a number of reasons people choose to live here. It depends on their time of life, maybe where they they are, where they live. Do they have kids? There's a lot of retirees that will move here for the retirement aspect. It's a great place to live for retirees. It's safe. It's clean. The people are nice. You don't have to worry a lot about... uh, you know, things that you might have in the big city, very peaceful area, uh, very community involvement is good for a lot of people. They like to give back to the community and be involved up here. I think the weather is real attractive for a lot of people and, and the beauty of the area. 
for young families, it's a very attractive place for them also. They like to raise their kids here. There's opportunities for kids. That's a good environment for from athletics to agriculture to all kinds of different things that they can get involved with. Schools are good. Each town has a great elementary school, a lot of control there, and then one high school. So there's a it's a really an ideal place to raise kids in the public school setting uh, because a lot of people will move here. They may have had their kids somewhere else in private school, and by moving here and being in public school, they get almost the same education or same attention because of that. There's also great private schools here too with Dunn School and, and Midland School. So it depends. And there's also people that move here that work in Santa Barbara and we're a little bit cheaper than Santa Barbara, the valley. So affordability is a little bit better in the Santa Rosa Valley. They can commute down there. Uh, but then some people just choose here to live here over Santa Barbara also because they just like it better. We were really surprised how busy we are here. There's always something going on. It is surprising how you think you move to a small town and you're busier than ever. You might have more friends than you ever did. You may have lived in a big city and you just had a, a circle of friends you thought was large and you get here and it's even larger in a small town. And that's one of the fun things about living here. Uh, you know, A lot of people that have been here for a long time, they go to the grocery store. It might take them half an hour just to buy a couple of things because they keep running into people that they know and then they talk for a little while and they run to somebody else. And so it, it's a social event going to the grocery store. You just see people over and over again at different places. So it, it helps keep that bond together. You have to master your two-minute conversation. Yes. Right. Good Good point. Yeah. Or you might never get anything done. Yes. How did your family arrive in the Valley? Well, it goes way back uh, to my uncle, Davey, and he was my dad's brother. Uh, they were his. Their family was living in uh, Pasadena at the time. So my dad, George, his brother, David, and his parents were George and Francis. And Davey was going to school in the morning. His mom would give him a dime and take the bus in. And he would come home after school. And then pretty soon they got a call from the school that he, he's been absent for a couple of weeks. And they just that couldn't understand why, because he kept going to school and coming back home. And what was happening is he was just going to the library and not going to school. And they asked him why he did that. He said, I just don't like school. I find it boring and I, I don't like going. So I just go to the library and read and come home. And that was puzzling to them. And And they heard about this school that was up in the Santa Rosa Valley that was opening. They thought it might be perfect for him because he couldn't go anywhere else. And it was Midland School. And it's a boarding school up off of Figaro Mountain Road. Right. And once you're there, you really can't go anywhere. Even to this day, it's very hard to go anywhere once you're, once you're there. <laughs> And uh, so he started there in 1944. That was the main introduction to the Valley for the Jones family. And they took seventh graders at the time. It was seventh grade through uh, 12th grade. And he, he went to school there and graduated from Midland. And had a he went to the Naval Academy and, and turned out to be a, a great guy. And he, he wasn't, he was, he was extremely smart. And I, I think Midland helped. And also I, I think his, uh, time in school when he was a kid, he needed a little more challenge. So that gave him the challenge for that. So that inter introduced us to the Valley. My dad ended up going to Midland also. And, uh, they, his parents eventually retired and moved up here. My mother's side of the family, they, uh, were married in Santa Barbara, her parents. So my grandparents, so there's some ties to Santa Barbara and they lived in Santa, in Santa Barbara also. So that was our first introduction. And I, and then, uh, they lived in Los Angeles for a while. Uh, around California too, up in the Bay area. And in 1965, they moved here permanently. Uh, I was eight weeks old 
And my uh, grandparents on my father's side had a ranch in San Inez and they were going to raise Peruvian Paso horses. It was just an industry just getting started. And George Sr., he ended up passing away just a month after after that, uh, after I was born. So that was in May of 1965. My folks moved here in uh, with four boys under the age of six in June of 1965, and they had no job. weren't sure if they were they should be coming, but they ended up coming here and raising their kids. And the part of the attraction for them was the people. Uh, they wanted to raise their kids in an environment like the Santa Cruz Valley, and like much uh, many parents do today, they want to raise their kids here. So right. same same idea back then. So it's been 54 years. Wow. And I know a lot of people have passed by the Pork Palace on 101. How did you come to live there? Yeah, it's a good story, the old Pork Palace. Uh, we uh, got involved with 4-H. And when we first moved here in 1965, one of the first people my mother met was Virginia Klein. And she lived just down the street on Calzada on Baseline. And her father raised pigs. And so when my older brothers were old enough to get into 4-H, they had a pig project and they took it to the county fair. And that introduced them to pigs, thanks to Virginia Klein and her family. <laughs> and then uh, they lived in, in, in San Diego at the time. Uh, we lived in Oak Trail Ranch from 1970 to 77. And our little pig project grew so big that we just had to move. And there was an old ranch, an old dairy off of Highway 101, about three miles south that was available. It was a, it was a, needed a lot of work, really run down, but the price was cheap. And so... My folks bought that in 1977, and we moved out there. They thought of the name Pork Palace. It was kind of a spinoff of the Cow Palace up in the Bay Area, but more of a uh, calling it a Pork Palace. Mm -hmm. It was kind of fun. So the pig project grew. We had about 800 to 1,000 pigs at its peak, wow. and all of us boys were working there. It kept us very busy all through high school, and we showed at the county fairs and around the state also. We ended up having dairy goats and cattle and turkeys and chickens and drop calves. And so it, it was a great life out there. Very, very busy. Every weekend it was busy for us. My daughter wants to do the 4-H rabbit project. Great. But after this story, I'm seriously having second thoughts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you might have more rabbits than you think if you get serious about it. But From one 4-H project to the Pork Palace, that's, that's quite a story. That's right. So what was it like uh, growing up there? And I imagine with three other older brothers, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of hard work. Uh, I was the youngest of the four boys. Um, had great brothers. They they were all uh, achievers and smart and busy. And I think it might have been our secretly our parents' plan to keep us busy with the farm. We were involved with sports and student government and FFA and everything at the high school. So we were busy all the time. So we really didn't have much time to get into trouble. So so now looking back, I think that might have been their master plan that uh, we didn't realize at the time. It sounds like it. Good, good forethought on your mother's part. Yes. How did you come to decide to raise a family here? Well, uh, I think it's probably one of the best places to raise a, a family. And I grew up here and graduated high school. And I wanted to go out of state to school or just leave the valley. I thought uh, I need to leave and come back. And I did that and went to the University of Illinois, came back after uh four years there, graduated in 1987. Great school, enjoyed it very much, and uh, but traveled quite a bit. And then once you leave the Valley, you realize this is actually a pretty special place and you really appreciate it once you leave. We're pretty sheltered growing up here. It's an environment that uh, 
most of the world doesn't get to experience and you really don't appreciate until you leave and, and see something else. One of the things that struck us most when we started talking to people that lived here is that familiar story that kids often go off and experience the world as they need to do, but then they a lot of times come back here to start their own families. Yes, right. Same same thing happened to us, and a lot of people have done that. They, they come back here. Uh, they get the same feeling. And I think you'll see that with a lot of people you talk to here. Uh, really, most people live here by choice. They can A lot of people can live anywhere in the world, and they choose to live here and raise their kids here. The environment is great uh, from sports to 4-H, FFA. It's safe. It's clean. There's not a lot of uh, crime, not, not much traffic. The air is clean. And it's really an ideal place to live. So people choose to live here. And it's I think you'll find a, the people that are here are, are generally happy to be here. They're, they're peaceful, happy, have a good sense of humor, usually in a good mood uh, because of that, I think. One of the things that some people are concerned about is the growth. How has that uh, changed over the years? And what do you think about that? Right. Well, growth has always been an issue for a long time. And... The most people don't realize that everything is zoned here in the valley for a certain use. And if you go back to the 1950s, when they first started coming up with zoning rules for the Santa's Valley, they created sort of a European style valley. And the idea was to preserve each town. So you go from village through farmland to village. Makes it a very attractive place to live. It preserves agriculture. It keeps the growth down. And the People, Boyd Betancourt and some of the other people back then, they came up with the idea of having the commercial zoning in each little town. So you have Solvang, San Inez, Ballard, Los Olivos, Bulton. You preserve those little towns, and then the denser residential area surrounds the commercial core. And as soon as you leave that, it turns into one acre, five acre, and 10 acre, and 20 acre minimum size parcels. And those are agriculturally zoned parcels. So there's certain uses you can use. It's just agriculture. You can have a single family home on those larger parcels, but you can't split them up. So they are to remain that way. And that's that's been a great niche for the valley, preserving that European style valley. And as you've seen the vineyards and the small farms and the growth is limited that way, uh, it makes it a very attractive place to live for a lot of people. So zoning, however boring it is to talk about, yes. in your mind, it's one of the, the ways that this valley has naturally preserved its own growth it really is uh you know people don't realize the zoning maps are out there each parcel has its own use that it can be uh used for you have commercial zoning you have multifamily zoning residential agriculture and these maps can be found on the internet at the county planning website so you can see exactly what's going on around you and we have a map at our office if anybody wants to see it but it it would by seeing that you uh if you're worried about growth or too much growth That'll help you uh, feel assured that it's not really going to go out of control. Uh, you'll see people move up here from the Los Angeles area, and they become the biggest no-growthers because they're scared that it's going to turn into Los Angeles here. It's very similar in size and to the San Fernando Valley, and they picture that turning into San Fernando Valley. And it really won't because the zoning is is very strict. And everybody here, even people in the real estate business and people who have been here for a long time, they really don't want to see it that way also. it's that's Our quality of life is really dependent upon the design and the land use and what we have here. So it sounds like our quality of life has been helped by the people that really thought about this community. They really have. Yeah. You, If you go back, they had tremendous foresight to zone it the way it is and preserve the lifestyle. We've 
been beneficiaries of this and it's been, you know, 60 years of, of all of us benefiting from that. Um, I wasn't a part of that, but I'm definitely a beneficiary of it. And I appreciate all that they have done in the past. Have you noticed a change in political climate over the last decade or so? Um, yeah, I think so. There's been probably a little bit, you know, I think California, uh, traditionally has been maybe, uh, has switched a little bit. It's become, it used to be more Republican voting. It's probably a little more Democrat voting overall. I can see it's dominating probably over the last 20 years of a major shift. Uh, it's hard to say about the Valley. It's still, a a, a probably on the more conservative side. There's probably some changes just as the demographics change over time and people's attitudes, but still, it's uh, it's still a great place, and uh, still some great people that live here. I remember fairly recently that some people didn't find your uh, one of your scarecrows very funny. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Well, we uh, solving has a scarecrow contest each year, and uh, it's just for fun. And you have a scarecrow you can put out in front of your business, and and it's for attention. And they have judging for each uh, scarecrow, so. Uh, we have done some things that have been kind of in the news and sort of, uh, uh, hopefully it was, it was, uh, more on the humorous side because we have a good sense of humor and don't take things too seriously. And we've had Donald Trump as a scarecrow and Hillary Clinton. And then, uh, one year we had Colin Kaepernick. That was the big news at the time in the fall of, uh, was it 2017 of the, uh, kneeling for the flag. And so we had Colin Kaepernick out there as a, as a scarecrow. For just a day. <laughs> it sounds like you listened to some wise counsel in switching up that scarecrow. Uh, yes, that's right. So we, <laughs> we did change. Um, it was uh, uh, kind of went the wrong direction. Didn't quite go the way that we did. We saw it, and uh, so we we did take that down. But it was a it was a, certainly an educational experience for us. Did you win the scarecrow contest that year? We didn't win that year. No, All right. no. Well, you but, can come back next year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Tell me how you became the MC of the Solving July 4th Parade. Well, the 4th of July Parade, I, I became the announcer mostly by default. Uh, it goes back to the coordinating council used to put on the 4th of July Parade. And that was an organization that used to coordinate all the nonprofits. They would have a 4th of July fundraiser with queens and events and competitions. And they would get a... a a big pot of money, and then they would they they would then dole it out to different organizations, from sports to little 4-H clubs to senior citizen uh, clubs and things that needed the money. So the idea was to coordinate all the nonprofits, and then you would apply to them, and then they would give out the money. So it was a pretty good system. But it, I think, as it grew, the valley grew. There were more nonprofits. It was hard to coordinate them all together, and they had gave up the Fourth of July parade. They used to coordinate that and do it. So they approached our Rotary Club, the Solving Rotary Club, to put the parade on. And uh, we said yes. This was like 1996. And uh, the club has never put a parade on. So it was kind of a, we just kind of threw it threw it together. It was kind of last minute. And it was a very small parade. And the person that was in charge of the parade said, hey, Alan, can you do the announcing and, and do it over here? And we'll, can you take care of the judges and the awards? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And then some people did traffic control. And some people were organized the lineup. And everybody had their own little duty. So it just happened that I did that and I've been doing it ever since. And it's been a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great day in solving. I think the 4th of July parade and the fireworks just makes a great all American day for everybody. They do a great job with it. What's one of your favorite annual events? Well, 4th of July, of course, is a great one. Um, 
that's just a great day. The entire day is just rotary. The San Andreas Valley Rotary Club does the fireworks. Our club does the parade. Uh, it's great for families and just a great day to be in town and be an American. Um, there are some other fun events that you can go to some great days. The one of my favorites is the Elverhoy Museum Solstice Party, which is out in a, a vineyard out in Ballard Canyon, and they have a dinner and and auction there, and that's just a great setting. That's just a, a very special special event. And there are so many other events, so many people, nonprofits, and groups that have other events that are just a lot of fun to go to. There's just you can stay pretty busy going to all of them. That's been a big surprise that I moved here from Pasadena and there's more going on here than there was there. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, you someone might live in a big city and they think they've got so many friends and a big circle of friends and everything there at their fingertips. But when they come here to a smaller town, they think it's going to be boring or they're not going to have very many friends. And pretty soon your circle of friends is larger than it was before. You're, you're, if you have kids, you're just shuffling them everywhere and they've got kids and friends and you're you're busier than you ever could imagine and your circle of friends may be maybe larger than you think uh, so what do you love most about the valley well i probably the people uh i think you'll find anywhere you go the people here in the valley are just some of the best you'll ever meet they are friendly happy uh have a good sense of humor I think that's probably one of the biggest attractions that I love about it. You know, then you also have great weather, the beauty, the mountains. I think the lifestyle is great. Great place for families, retirees. You have the wine industry, uh, the tourism industry. We're beneficiaries of that. Living here, we we may have probably more than what we would expect if we lived in a small town of or a small valley of 22,000 people or so. But we have so much here because of the tourists that come here that spend money that uh, you know solving really couldn't exist without the tourists but as the locals get to benefit from that from great architecture to great restaurants uh, even San Inez and Los Olivos these little towns and and we we get to benefit from that and that makes it a a very attractive lifestyle for for people that live here so I have reviewed your very long curriculum vitae your CV um, and I mentioned a few at the outset some of your volunteer and community activities as well as some of the recognition, Mr. Man of the Year. Yes. Why do you think it's important to serve? Well, it's. I'd like to say that it's uh, selfless of me, but it really isn't. I. It's probably more of a, uh, a benefit for me to serve. I, I, I enjoy it. I think it improves my life. Uh, it, what you give out, you actually receive back. And uh, so I, I enjoy doing that. I, I do care about the community and the Santa's Valley and the people in it. So if I can give and make it better for others, it benefits me too. It makes me feel good. It makes the Valley a better place. And that definitely benefits me. And the people that are in it, in these organizations, are usually some of the best folks that you'll ever meet. They, they have, they're like-minded. They care about the Valley. They care about people. They're very generous. They're a lot of fun. The connections you make are, are worth it. And uh, it just makes, I think, living here... Uh, more special, more fulfilling when you do serve. And if you're able to serve, it, it does benefit your life in a, in a way that you probably wouldn't get if you did other things. Aside from all the community activities, one of the things that I'm so amazed in this valley is just the beauty of this place and any direction you go. Where do you go when you want to be in awe of the beauty here? Yeah, it is beautiful. Just about every turn that you go, there is something beautiful from the mountains, the coastal range to the San Rafael Mountains. Uh, but one of the places probably that you'll get the most awe would be going up Figaro Mountain Road up to the top of Figaro Mountain 
or going across the all the way down to Happy Canyon, across the whole mountain range. You just when you're up there, you look over the valley and you see over the coastal range, you see the ocean, the Pacific Ocean to the south, and you see it to the west. You get to see the point of California where it changes from an east-west direction to a north-south direction. It it makes it a special place in the of the of the in the world where it affects weather and the geography and the the geology of the mountains and the formations. It's just a special spot. And you get to see all of that and you just think, wow, what a creation this is and how lucky we are to be here and, and, and see this. We are very lucky. Tell me about somebody who's contributed to the community that you respect and admire. Well, there's a lot of people that uh, have contributed and that I respect also, uh, you know, some of the top people that uh, I think have made a significant contribution to the Valley that, that I respect and, and, uh, appreciate all that they've done. It goes all the way back to, um, well, we'll start with the people that were on the general plan advisory committee. I don't know all of them, but you know, there's Boyd Betancourt. There's some of the founders of the, of the Valley that really set the tone of the Valley for planning and, and growth. There's uh, people, Phil Condit, who started our company. He, uh, just was a great guy, just a colorful character and, uh, uh, gave me an opportunity in life and a career. And, uh, I can't thank him enough. Uh, you know, of course my father's most influential person. There's been some other ones. Richard Christensen has made so many contributions to the community of um, the nonprofits and his business and and uh, historical societies in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I th- if you go to the Santa's Valley Foundation's Man and Woman of the Year uh, banquet, you'll also see people that have a Lifetime Achievement Awards. And I think all of those that have received it, if you go back through their archives, you'll see so many people that have contributed so much to the Valley and, and, uh, may they've made it a better place for everyone. And there's so many of them. I, you know, I, I'm a beneficiary of that, of their goodwill. I hope to carry it on and, and maybe carry it on to generations beyond me and you. One of the goals of this podcast is to tell some of those stories about how we got here and yeah. why it's so important that we all work together to keep this place going. Sure. So it sounds like those are some good sources for my next interviews. Yeah, there's some good ones. Some names, uh, Claire Betancourt is still alive. She, she would be worth talking to. Her family goes way back to the college ranch in San Inez. Uh, there's Richard Christensen, you know, Harlan Bacardi, his family goes way back and he's so involved with the water board here. There's still a lot of characters and I, I'm so happy that you're doing this because there are time goes by pretty quickly and you might miss the chance to document this history because it people don't really record it you just sort of take it for granted and it's just forgotten and to record it especially in their voice and their story it gives a dimension that you may not get in a book or reading or trying to go back and and read the newspaper or put it piece it back together but you you get the personality of the person of the Santa's Valley the personality is just so much fun uh, because it's you know the people are so are colorful and they have such a history in the way they express themselves. And, and, uh, that's what makes life just great to be here, to know all those people. And it's rich here between the Danish community and the cowboys sure, and all the people and, you know, that keep this place going. There's a lot here. There is a lot here. Yep. Well, thank you for being my first guest. I really appreciate you being here today. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for choosing me. And, uh, I, I wish you the best of success. I'm sure you'll have some better talent coming up, but this is a good introduction <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a great podcast. I look forward to listening to it, to it for years and years. Thank you, Alan. Mm-hmm. That's all for my interview with Alan Jones. You can say hello to him at San Inez Valley Real Estate on the corner of Mission and Adderdag. 
You've been listening to SYV Stories, real conversations about community and purpose in the San Ynez Valley. I'm your host, Tamara Rolls. If you like what you heard, please spread the word and search SYV Stories on your favorite podcast app to rate, review, and subscribe. You can visit me on Instagram at SYVStories or at SYVStories.com to join the conversation, access show notes, or contact me to recommend a future guest. Thanks for listening.